Lord, as we open your word now, may your spirit speak to each one of us so that we would know that we are born again. Because without being born again, all is lost. Help us now, Lord, as we hear what you say to us. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, I'm very excited to be starting the book of John. It's, uh, it's, uh, we're going to be in this for a while. I'm not going to quite go at the same speed as Dave, like verse by verse, because then we'll be here for another nine years. But um, we're going to be working through this book. It's a, it's a beautiful book. Um, it's written by the Apostle John, the one who was the closest to Jesus. The one who in this book, when you're reading through it, he's, he talks about the other apostle or the other disciple. He's talking about himself because he doesn't want to mention his own name. Um, so when you read through this book, and I, I'm really praying that all of you will find the time to read through this book of John a few times while we are studying. Because it's only if you put that time into it that you will really get out of it. So if I can ask you as a church, just start reading through the book of John. And read through as many times as you can. And then as we go through it, things will tie up for you. Um, but we're going to see what John had to say. The purpose of this book, and I'm going to be doing a general introduction next week. But the purpose of the book is found in chapter 20, verse 31. And I just want to read that. And then we're going to read our text for today. So John chapter 20, verse 31. Listen to what it says. This is why he wrote this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I want to read that again. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is a book for our times so that we will continue to believe because the times are getting harder every day by all kinds of things and pressures coming on us. So that's the purpose of this book. John, is a, he describes who Jesus was. He describes the works of Jesus. He describes the miraculous works of Jesus, which showed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Um, he covers unique conversations between Jesus and various people. And we're going to look at uh, one just very shortly today between Jesus and Nicodemus. Um, the book of John covers 90% new material that's not in the other three Gospels. So it's a unique Gospel. And it was written after those three, the first three Gospels. But he covers these unique conversations because Jesus is speaking not just about who he is, but what it means to be saved. And so he uses, um, Jesus uses this, these descriptions of who he is, the I am statements. The eight of them, we're going to be looking at them one at a time. Um, not today though. And then we're going to 
delve into the book itself. But for today, we're going to be looking at a major theme which runs through the book of John. And that is the whole theme of being born again. Are you born again? And so we're going to be looking at faith. And what is the difference between faith and saving faith? Um, and is there a difference? So let's turn to God's Word and just read John chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, sorry, John chapter 3, and I'll be specifically looking at verse 15 and 16. But we'll read the first part of the chapter. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Note, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirits and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher and, you, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things... How can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Firstly, what is faith? Now, we've come from a study of the book of Hebrews, and so you should all be saying the definition of faith, right? Because we studied it. Any volunteers? Hebrews? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It carries on. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So there's two aspects there. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And secondly, it gives us assurance about things 
we cannot see. Now, that's very different to the world's definition of faith. The world's definition of faith is, I hope she'll turn out all right. They can't say anything else. But faith, biblical faith says, we can be confident there's a hope that will actually happen. We can be assured about what we cannot see. So then the second follow-up question, that is, if that's faith, what is saving faith? Is there a difference? Well, I'll put to you this morning, and I'll show you from God's Word, that this definition of faith is only a part of saving faith. Saving faith is what Jesus defines as those who come and believe in Him will receive eternal life. In other words, we're going to be looking at how are you born again. And we know that part of that's a mystery. The wind blows where it will. Jesus says you, can't, you don't know where it comes from, but you can see where it's going. And you don't know how that all puts together. It's part of it's a mystery. So there's some part of being born again that we don't understand. God doesn't. But we know that it's, it's a part, um, it, it is coming from a state of unbelief into a state of belief by what God does in us. Saving faith. Saving faith consists of four parts. There's a person, there's belief, there's Christ, and there's eternal life. I need you all to hear me today. Saving faith consists of four parts. There's you, the person, not anyone else. It's you and God's truth. There's you and your relationship to someone, Jesus Christ. There's an action to be taken. You are to believe in Jesus Christ. You, the person, has to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And then... When you do that, you receive a new life from Him and you receive life with Him for eternity. Those are the consequences. So those four parts, you the person, you have to do something. You've got to believe in who? In Jesus Christ and then you will receive eternal life. Well, what does saving faith look like? And there are six points that I want to bring to your attention. Saving faith you can recognize by the following things. Firstly, saving faith is necessary for salvation. Only faith is necessary for salvation. There's nothing else you can do to save yourself except to be saved by Christ. Say only faith is necessary for salvation. Yes, you need to know that you need to be saved. If you don't know that you need to be saved then you can't be saved. If you don't know what you're being saved from, a life without God, a sinful nature, then you can't be saved. You need to know that only Christ can save you. That help can only be found outside of yourself. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Help must come from outside. That's why it's called saving faith. You need to know that you can only contribute coming to God and saying, Yes, I believe, Lord, on your knees, acknowledging that He is Lord, that you are a created being, and that you are helpless without Him. There's nothing else that you can do to save yourself. 
And no, you don't need a vast scriptural knowledge before you can be saved. You don't need to know all ten commandments. You don't need to have read the whole Bible through before you can be saved. You only need to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you are a sinner before Him, and that the only way you can be saved is on your knees saying, Lord, save me, otherwise I'm lost. You need to know that. You don't need a vast scriptural knowledge. You don't have to have all your answers of life first answered. Some people try and answer all these questions they have, and then they say, when I've answered all those questions, then I'll be saved. It might be too late, my friend. Only belief in Christ and only full trust in Christ is needed for you to be saved. He does the rest. Plain and simple. So only faith is necessary for salvation. Secondly, you can recognize saving faith by knowing that saving faith cannot be selective. What I mean by that? You see, your faith might be weak. You might not have all the answers. But when it comes to Jesus Christ and believing who he is, you cannot be selective and partial by only believing some things that he claims and not the others. This isn't a licorice all sorts faith. You can't select and unselect what you want to believe. There's no option like that. You either believe the whole package or you don't. Jesus Christ is going to give us eight statements about I am and he's going to tell, tell you who he is. If you want to be saved, you need to believe every single one of those statements. You can't leave one out because it doesn't suit you. You can't leave one out because it's uncomfortable to you. Every single statement about Christ has to be believed. If you want to be saved. What does he say? And I'm not going to go into it all now. I'm going to just read you his I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm the sustainer of true life. Do you believe that? I am the light of the world. He's the only one who can bring light into darkness. I am the door. He's the only way to new life. No other religion will do it. I am the good shepherd. He's the only true protector of his creations. Satan's not out for your good. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the only source of hope if you want to be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. You can't do it on your own. I am the true vine. He is the only source of true spiritual life that you need to be connected into. And lastly, before Abraham was, I am. What's he saying there? He's claiming to be who? God. Some people can't accept that. And so saving faith says, yes, Lord, I believe you in every single one of those points. I might not understand it fully, but I believe you in every single one of those claims that you've made about yourself. No exceptions. Jesus doesn't make any exception clauses for any individual. He says, I am Lord. Do you accept who I am? If you want to be saved or if you claim to be saved this morning, and there are many of us who claim to be saved this morning, 
then we have to accept and submit ourselves to Jesus and his claims completely. So, that's the second point. Only uh, saving faith cannot be selective. Thirdly, saving faith is more than mental assent. What does that mean? You see, saving faith is more than just acknowledging that Jesus existed. He was a historical man. He was a teacher once in history. Yes, I believe he might have been the son of God. Okay, granted. Now what? Well, my friend, the sad news for you today is that Satan also believes that. The demons also believe that. But that faith didn't save, doesn't save Satan. That faith doesn't save the demons. In actual fact, it has the opposite effect. They flee from that knowledge. They flee from Jesus Christ and the fact that he is God. They know the facts, but they flee from them. It doesn't save them. They fear him. And if that faith doesn't save them, if that belief doesn't save them, that belief won't save you either. Jesus says, who do you say I am? I'm either Lord or I'm not in practice. And so saving faith is more than mental assent. Fourthly, saving faith involves total commitment to another. Saving faith says I give myself over to the control of, of and the service to someone else. And the question being asked here is, who is your master? Because you are in control by someone. It's either by Jesus Christ or by Satan. There is no third option. Saving faith says that you totally commit yourself to another, not the one you're in who's in control of your life as an unbeliever. And who is that other? It is only the person of Jesus Christ. You are to be totally committed to him. There's no partial commitment. When you make a bacon and egg dish, right? There's a difference between the contribution the chicken makes and the contribution the pig makes. The one is partially committed. The one is totally committed. <laughs> we laugh about it, but you know, I walk around and people, I, I meet people in life all over who say, oh, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. But the life doesn't show that. I'm a Christian. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to mix with other believers. I can just do what I want to do. It's a partial commitment to Jesus Christ. And a partial commitment is no commitment. And so saving faith says you need to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. There is no partial commitment. If you're partially committed, you are not saved. Hear God's word this morning. I would hate to be in heaven one day and one of you that I thought was a believer is not there. And so as your pastor, I plead with you, make sure you are saved today. Full commitment to Jesus Christ. And it will show in your daily life. It will show in your commitment to his body. It will show in the way you serve Jesus Christ. In your everyday activities, your finances, your commitments, the way you drive your car, everything else. It will show total commitment to Jesus Christ or not. The message comes home to me real deeply too. Are you saved? Saving faith means total commitment to Jesus Christ. And it means trusting Him completely. Doesn't matter what happens to me in my life. 
I will trust him completely. And so this total commitment of saving faith says, nothing in my hands I bring. I just cling to your cross, Lord, in what you did there for me. Fifthly, saving faith has immediate results in spiritual life. Saving faith is not a, a gradual process of becoming a believer. The moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the very moment you receive new life. You don't first have to go on a spiritual pilgrimage. You don't first have to vi visit various cities and do various things, and by that you will be saved. You don't have to go through processes of deepening faith so that you will eventually reach nirvana. Faith is not a series of steps which have to be completed and then you get the badge. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ and you entrust yourself to Him is the moment He moves you from being dead to becoming alive in Him. And not just for that moment, but forever. It's a great moment. It's not a gradual process. Christ saves immediately. And when he saves immediately, he saves completely. There's nothing else you've got to do. Now I can hear you saying, that's grand. I'll just sit in the boat and drift. No. There's another step, I'm sorry to say. And that's the last one about saving faith. Saving faith will bring spiritual growth. Galatians chapter 5 describes the spiritual growth or the fruit that we see in our lives. I'll read it to you. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit, note, produces. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I even recognize some of those. Not all of them, though, sadly, yet. You see, saving faith brings spiritual fruit in our lives. Saving faith, or spiritual fruit rather, is a direct result of saving faith. It's not something you need to do first and see first, and then you will be saved. You are saved, and the Lord starts producing spiritual fruit in you. Note, He produces them in you. It's a gift which God gives. It's not a result of our efforts. And so, producing spiritual fruit is not something you've got to worry about. What you and I need to do is live a life close to Jesus Christ every day, and guess what? Spiritual fruit will be produced. He will do it. If you are saved and following Christ in your everyday life and in your strivings every day, you will produce fruit and you will grow. And as you grow, and that process is called sanctification, as you become more and more like Christ, you're already saved, right? But as you become more and more like Christ... He does the work in you. Christ ensures that this happens in you. So please don't be mistaken by thinking the, when I get better and better in Christ, then I will be saved. 
you are saved. And He will make you to be like Him. I can't be plainer than that. What do we do with that? Well, there's only one question I can ask this morning, and that's to believer and unbeliever sitting here. Are you saved? Now, please hear me. I didn't say, are you perfect? All those who are perfect? Come on, there must be one. I've asked the question, are you saved? And I'm going to run through these just in a very different way. And all I need you to do is just say yes in your head or not. Are you saved? Jesus Christ, I come to you because only you can save me. Only you can give me new life. I come. My question is, have you come? Some point in your life, have you come to Christ? Are you saved? Jesus, I fully believe that you are who you say you are. I may not fully understand how the Trinity works or how the process of becoming alive works, but I believe you alone give that new life. Yes or no? Jesus, I have submitted to you in my practice every day. My heart is submitted to you as Lord. So help me God. Can you say yes to that? Jesus, with the strength and ability you alone give, I totally commit my life to you in direction, in activities and ability. Only you can give to please you in everything I do. I live my life in and through Christ alone. Is that a yes or no? Jesus, I know I have a place in eternity with you. Whether living on this earth now or after I die, I am always with you. You've brought me from death to life. It's not something which will only happen to me when I die. I'm already alive in Christ today. Yes? And lastly, Jesus, I can see your fingerprints in my life in the way I'm maturing in the faith. And yes, it may be slower than what I'd like and maybe in unexpected areas in my life, but I can see the growth in me over time. Do you see growth in your life? If the fruit are not there, you need to go back to question one. And so this morning I ask you, Believers, are you saved? Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Where's Beth? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's all of Christ, none of me. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. That's our only response. And if you're not a believer here this morning, the only prayer should be on your heart. Lord, save me now while my ears are hearing this message because I might not always hear. Save me from my sin. Give me new life as you've promised. Where else can I go for new life? Only you have the words of eternal life, as Jesus' disciples said. Come to Jesus. Saving faith. Do you have it? As we pray, I want to...
read from Ephesians chapter 3. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that I would never be able to pray myself, but Paul prayed it. And so I'm going to copy prayer, uh, Paul's prayer. Listen to this beautiful prayer. As our prayer before the Lord this morning as we end this message. Ephesians 3 verse 14. When I think of all this, here's a prayer. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.